0: wherever you are in the world know that jesus loves you and we love you enjoy the podcast well hey guys it's so good to be with you today Uh, today we're going to be answering the question how can i resist evil how can i resist evil now of course we spent the last year at First Wednesday, working through this idea of spiritual warfare. And so if you want to get into that idea in more depth, then please check out those First Wednesday sermons on our YouTube channel. But today, we're going to do a bit of an overview, a bit of a flyby, asking this question, how can I resist evil. Now, many of you know this already. I've said it a hundred times that I was not a follower of Jesus in much of my early life. In fact, I was even a little bit hostile about it. I found it very difficult for reasons that I can't fully explain to believe that there was even a God. I found that a challenge. And then I became a Christian and obviously I came to believe in God. I came to believe in who he was. I came to believe in his power. I came to believe in his goodness. I came to believe in his wonder. And then somebody said to me (laughs) that there's also a devil. And I remember thinking to myself, come on, it's hard enough to believe that there is a God, let alone believe that there is this evil adversary on the other side of this equation. Coming to faith was another complication in itself because uh, I've grown up in faith in two diametrically opposed communities. I came to faith in a wildly charismatic church. I'm talking about tambourines, dresses, spinning, the whole nine. A wildly charismatic church is where I came to faith. And there were some beautiful expressions of faith and grace in that community that I will never forget. There was also a great deal of power because they believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we experienced that. Like all things, there was a shadow side as well. Often poor choices, stubbed toes, and anything not going someone's way was attributed to the work of the devil. And there was very little room for the general effects of sin or life in a fallen world or someone's human desires getting the best of them. On the other hand, I was trained in a formal Presbyterian setting. What a gift! I was introduced to biblical scholarship. I was rooted more deeply in the ancient nature of our faith and church history. I learned how rich and bottomless is God's grace and that I did not have to abandon my mind in order to entrust my heart to Jesus. An intellectual faith is equally important as an emotive one. And yet there too, there was shadow sides of this part of Christianity that is equally dangerous. There's little nod given to the reality of spiritual warfare or the works and effects of the devil. It can be very worldly in that way, attributing all bad to human sinfulness and never looking at the evil one as directly causal. Like so many in the world, they too have fallen to that great trick. The greatest trick that the devil ever pulled, in fact, to quote from one of my favorite movies, The Usual Suspects, the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he did not exist. And I think part of the problem is, for me at least, that before I had a false image of God. I had a picture of God in my mind of you know this old man with a with a beard and, and 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 glistening brown skin and 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 big thick hair just sitting in a cloud Similarly I think many people have a poor image of the devil He's been cartoonized and turned into this red beast sometimes slim sometimes muscular carrying a pitchfork and a tail and obviously both of those images of god and the devil well they are both not only unbelievable but in reality they're unbiblical they are unbiblical and the last thing i'll say in answering this question as we begin here how do i resist evil is this? If we don't believe that the devil is real, if we don't believe that we have an enemy, if we don't believe that there is an opposing forces of darkness trying to influence our life and our choices and our daily rhythms, if we don't believe that there is anything to fight, then how can we fight? How can we resist? The simple answer is we cannot And so the first thing I wanna ask today, along these lines of how do we resist evil is this, why should we believe that the devil exists? Why should we believe that the devil exists? Well, the apostle Paul speaks about the spiritual forces of evil. And actually, though the devil has worked hard to go unseen, a few people actually find it easier to believe in these forces (laughs) than they do in God. In fact, William Peter Blatty, who wrote the book, The Exorcist, and the screenplay for the film, The Exorcist, he said this, as far as God goes, I'm a non-believer. But when it comes to the devil, well, that's something else. The devil keeps advertising. The devil does lots of commercials. Heard the story once of a guy named Bruce Strether. He was an absolutely argumentative person and a lawyer. He was an atheist. Nothing convinced him that God was real. He came to an alpha group, but none of that convinced him that God is real. He came to the Alpha Weekend, much like the one we had last weekend. And still there at Alpha Weekend, nothing convinced him that God was real. But then he heard this message about resisting evil. He heard this message about who the devil is and the power of the devil. And here's what he said. He said, I'm a lawyer, and in my practice as a lawyer, I see so much evil. I've always believed in the power of evil. Now I realize that there's a power of evil active in a person. It is only logical to believe that there's also the power of good active in another And that night, that night, he became a Christian. So where does evil come from? Well, the New Testament talks about a kind of triple alliance, if you will, the world and the flesh and the devil. The world, if you like, is the enemy around us. The flesh is the enemy within us. And the devil is the enemy permeating all of it. The devil is the power behind all the rest. The world is all the bad stuff that is around us. The world has shut God out. The world is pornography. The world is greed. The the world is lust. The world is envy. The the world is slander. The world is gossip. It is the evil around us. And the flesh is not talking about the body. It's not talking about your skin. There's nothing evil about the body. There's nothing inherently evil about your skin or about your physicality. No, when we say the flesh, what we're saying is those evil desires that are rooted in the fall in Genesis chapter 3 that rise up from within us. And then there's the devil. So why should we believe in the existence of him? Well, the first reason is that Jesus clearly believed in the existence of the devil. Did he not teach us to pray? Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation. Here it is. And protect us from the evil one. He believed in the devil. So if you believe in Jesus and Jesus believed in the devil, then vis-a-vis you must believe that we have an enemy at work against us. And he himself was tempted by the devil. Some of you may have had that experience, particularly after a a powerful time of ministry from the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, there, there are all these wild thoughts and wild ideas and temptations coming against you. All of a sudden, there are things that you are thinking about or things that you have urges toward that you haven't thought about for weeks or months or years. That's how the devil works. That's how the devil works. He even tempted Jesus. So there's scripture, tradition, and then then there's reason. Right? How else do you explain so much evil in the world? How else do you explain what happened in places like Rwanda, the Ukraine, the slaughter of women and children? How do you explain that? How do you explain? What we see in the news whenever we open up our browser, institutional torture, mass murders, brutal rapes, the physical and sexual abuse of children and old people. How do you explain that if you don't believe that there's an enemy? In fact, Lieutenant General Romeo Delaire was part of the UN peacekeeping force in Rwanda. And he watched the genocide there in 1994. Some of you weren't even born yet. And because he had only a small number of officers, he was unable to stop that genocide. After it, he wrote a book called Shake Hands with the Devil. And here's what he wrote. He wrote this. I know that there's a God because in Rwanda, I shook hands with the devil. I've seen him, I've smelled him, I've touched him. I know the devil exists and therefore I know there is a God. I know there's a God. And there are two equal and opposite dangers with respect to the existence of the devil. One danger is to disbelieve and the other is to have an unhealthy or excessive interest. In that, But the reality is that the evil one exists. He is active in the world, and he is disruptive to your life. So the second question we would ask then is, if he's disruptive to our lives, what are the devil's tactics? What are, their ta- what are, what are his tactics? Well, first of all, he wants to destroy our lives. That is his ultimate aim. Please don't miss this. Whether you're here at Water Place or whether you're joining us online, please don't miss this part. He has one aim, and that is to destroy your life. That is what he exists for. It is why he gets up in the morning. It's the opposite aim that Jesus has for your life. Jesus says that I came that you might have life, John 10, 10, and that you might have it abundantly or have it to the full. That's what God wants for you. He wants a fullness of life and the devil wants the exact opposite. He goes around prowling like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, seeking whom he may destroy. And it's never obvious at the start. It's always a slow drift. When people take drugs, they don't realize where it may lead. When you or I start looking at pornography, you never realize where it may actually lead. What it's doing to your neural pathways. And what the devil wants to do is take us down a path that ultimately leads to destruction. And very often the evil one starts with doubt. You know, the story if you've read your Bible from Genesis chapter three, what did he say to Eve? He said, did God really say, did God really say that? What did he say to Jesus when he tempted Jesus? If you are the son of God. In other words, the devil tries to get you to doubt who you are and to doubt what God has said. That is the beginning of the drift. And of course, that applies to you. If you are a Christian, because if you're not a Christian, well, then it doesn't really matter, does it? But for a Christian, our temptation starts with doubt. And after doubt comes temptation. And let me say this. There's nothing inherently wrong with being tempted. In fact, I saw uh, a conversation this last week between uh, um, my friend Preston Sprinkle and Jackie Hill Perry, and one of the things they keyed in on is the fact that same-sex attraction is not a sin. The temptation toward it is not a sin. It is the acting on it that puts you outside of God's best and God's flourishing. So, but it's not wrong to be tempted. Don't feel guilty for being tempted. Even Jesus was tempted in every way. But if the devil can get temptation to root you, well, then comes deception. And all sin is a form of deception, isn't it? Go back to Genesis with me. What did he say to Eve? Did God really say this? You know, if you eat this, will you really die? Surely you won't die. It's deception. And that's the way he works still. Look, you can do that. You can look at a little porn. You can take a little money. You can dabble a little bit in your sexuality outside of marriage. You can do it. Surely won't harm you. It's sure he whispers that and then the world enforces it and your flesh agrees to it. And pretty soon you find yourself losing the life that God has promised you, that life of fullness. And here's what's crazy, right? Once he gets you to the place of deception, From doubt to temptation to deception, once he gets you deceived and acting on the thing that he has sowed in your mind, guess what? Then he condemns you. He condemns you. He tells you that you're worthless, that you'll never be any better than you are right now. I knew this exactly who you are. Everybody's going to see you for real. He begins to condemn you. He begins to condemn you. He begins to confuse you. He begins to accuse you. Now, I need to say briefly that there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Very simply, conviction causes me to run toward God in repentance. Condemnation, condemnation, on the other hand, causes me to run away from God because I've been told by the evil one that I'm disgusting, that I'm worthless. But what does the word of God say? And this is why I keep saying every single time I get a chance, please read your Bible so that you can have the weapon of the word. What does the word of God say in Romans or in James rather chapter four? Uh, he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What does Paul say in Romans? Now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when we know that we are not condemned in Jesus, and when we resist the devil and his doubt and temptation and deception, then we don't have to live through his condemnation. When we resist him in Jesus' name, by Jesus' word, he runs away. So what is our position? What is our position? Why should we believe the devil is real? What are the devil's tactics Third, what is our position in this battle? What is your position? Well, Paul puts it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the son he loves or to the kingdom of God. In other words, before you were a Christian, you were in the dominion of darkness If you're currently not a Christian, please hear my heart with all the love that I can muster. You are currently in the dominion of darkness. Satan has great power there. He's in control there. Before, when I was in the dominion of darkness, I was addicted to things. My life was under the control of darkness. But through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus... The moment I invited Jesus into my life, the moment you invite Jesus into your life, you are transferred from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus, where Jesus is in control and where there is total freedom. But perhaps you say to yourself today or think to yourself, well, I cannot say for sure that I've been transferred to Jesus' kingdom. If that's you, I want to take just a moment to tell you the good news. The gospel, which is the good news about what God has done and is doing in the world through Jesus, tells us that God wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with the people he's made. The problem is that we can't cultivate that relationship in our own power because there is a separation between us. You remember that, but from the previous sermon that sin causes there to be a partition, there's a separation between us and God, but because God God is kind and loving because God is good. He moved toward us in order to close that separation. Even when we wanted to do life on our own terms, God gave Jesus so that he could move toward us and close that separation. He gave Jesus as a sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. Jesus took our place on the cross. Jesus took our sins on himself. Jesus died a death that he did not deserve so that by believing in our hearts and professing with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we might experience eternal life and be brought into his kingdom forever. He died so that we would be restored to communion with the Father. He rose in resurrection power So that by believing in him, we could have access to his power. He gave his life. He gave his life so that we could be brought into his kingdom forever. And the best part of the gospel is this, that it doesn't tell us that we've got to get ourselves sorted before we come to God. No, all of the effort is on God's side. And so today I invite you again, whether here in the room or whether they're online, if you want a relationship with God, if you want to be repositioned in him, if you want to experience transference to the kingdom of light, the good news of the gospel gives you automatic access. It is the place of freedom and fullness of life. And that is what God wants for you. That's what God wants for you. Now, does that mean that you're not going to struggle on the other side of that? No. In fact, if you're going to become a Christian today, I need to tell you, and I need to say it to all the Christians who are already here, that just because we come into the kingdom of light doesn't mean that we're not going to continue to battle or continue to struggle or continue to fight against things. Yes, things will fall away over time, but we live in a broken and fallen world, which means that we still have to fight the flesh and the world and the devil every single day. In fact, there's an old story that originated amongst the Cherokee tribes arising out of our culture, because I am part Cherokee, that I believe is apropos of our time today. I know every black person says that they're part Native American, but I really am 23 and me told me so. As the story goes, an elder in the tribe, a grandfather, sits his grandson down to speak with him in order to teach him what he feels is a vital life lesson. The grandfather tells his grandson, my son, there is a battle inside of you and me and all people. The battle is between two wolves that live inside of us all. One wolf is evil. It is anger, envy, jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other wolf is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The grandson, having received his grandfather's words and having thought about them for a moment, asks, which wolf wins the battle? And here's what the grandfather said. The one you feed. The one you feed. You see, a part of the Christian life is ensuring that we feed the good that God is doing inside of us and reject the longings of the enemy, reject the longings of this other wolf that is active in our world. That is how once transferred into the kingdom of light, we continue to grow into Jesus likeness. So if we know that we have an enemy, And if we know that the enemy has tactics, and if we know that our position with God is secured, how do we defend ourselves? How do we fight this battle? Well, Paul, he writes to us that we need to be strong in the Lord and that we need to put on the whole armor of God so that we might fight Against the devil, against powers and principalities and spiritual forces and darkness that we might be armored with Christ's armor so that we may do war and wage battle against the evil one and all his forces. The armor of God comes in several pieces. The first thing Paul says is put on the belt of truth. Ephesians 6, 14 through 18 is where this is located. Put on the belt of truth. What is truth? Well, Jesus told us. He said, I am the truth. So when we put on the belt of truth, we're putting on the absoluteness of Jesus' declaration of who he is. He says, put on the ble- the, the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, where the righteousness of Christ as a breastplate protecting your vital parts. When you were transformed to the kingdom of light, you were given the very righteousness of Jesus. It is not your own righteousness. Whenever God looks at you, he sees Jesus because when you believe, you were cloaked with Jesus' very own righteousness, his very own standing before God. And Paul says, put it on. Put it on and cover up. And then he says, get your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. For those who were with me for first Wednesday, you remember that we talked about this, that this is a reference to the sandals that that Roman soldiers would wear and Greek soldiers would wear. And they had spikes on the bottom so that when they went to battle, they could root themselves into the ground and not give ground when being pushed by the enemy. And then he says, take up the shield of faith, which extinguishes the flaming arrows of the evil one, the shield of faith. Do you remember that analogy? This is not a small shield. This is not a small round circular shield. No, it is referring to a shield that was much like a door. If you've ever seen the movie 300, where they lined up shield to shield, impenetrable, layered over one another. This is the image that Paul is invoking. Put the shield up. Root your feet down. Make sure that the helmet of salvation is on your head. The helmet being the knowledge of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ and what it means to you. The salvation is freedom the freedom that jesus brings the 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 control we have over our mind to dwell on that which is pure and lovely and holy and good the control that we have in our mind to take captive every thought it's the helmet of salvation and then the sword of the spirit which is the word of god I don't think I have to belabor the point. My heart, my desire for you is that you would love the word of God because there is so much power there and the Holy Spirit is active through his word. And it is when we swing the sword of the spirit toward the activity of the evil one that he must flee. And finally, Paul says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Keep close to God through prayer. That is how we defend ourselves. But the last question I want to answer today that you should be asking too is how do we attack? How do we attack? You remember what Jesus said? He said the kingdom of God is proliferating. And the gates of hell will not stand against it. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but gates are not for attacking. Gates are for protecting. The point I'm making here is is that once you understand that you have an enemy, and once you understand the tactics of your enemy, and once you get a grasp of your position in Christ, And once you get yourself fitted with the armor of God, you don't wait for him to come. You assault the gates of hell. Romans 12.1 says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Why? Because John tells us the one who is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. In other words, the Holy Spirit inside of you is far greater, far more powerful, far more glorious, far more weighty. The enemy cannot fight you when you are fighting by the Spirit. We're not talking about two equal and opposite powers. We're talking about the power of God against something infinitely smaller so that we might wage war against the enemy, against his strongholds, so that we might make a difference in the world. Look at what people have done in the past, motivated by the gospel of peace. Look at William Wilberforce and how he led the campaign to abolish slavery. Look at Dr. Martin Luther King and how he gave his life for civil rights in America. Fannie Lou Hamer. Look look at the great leaders of that era. John Lewis, who fitted with the gospel of peace, waged war against the effects of the evil one. And that's your call too. Those are just examples for you to consider that we are not supposed to just sit around after we've received salvation and say, I'm not going to do anyone any harm. I've told you this many times before, there is no neutrality. You are either being attacked or you are attacking. And I came to tell you today that you are meant to storm the gates of hell with your life. You are meant to make a difference. You are meant to leave a legacy. You are meant to live out your purpose in storming the gates of hell so that many daughters and sons might experience not only the salvation of Jesus, but the benefits of the kingdom and the ever flowing love and grace and mercy of God and the end breaking of this future reality that eliminates poverty and eliminates discrimination and eliminates brokenness because all of those things are the worst in the effects of the evil one. And so my final question for you today is what will you do? Will you think that you can live in some neutrality? Or will you recognize that you have an enemy? Will you be attuned to his tactics? Will you take up the full armor of Christ and will you storm the gates of hell? Do not be overcome by evil, rather by God's spirit. Overcome evil with good. Amen. Amen. Father, we pray now in the name of Jesus that you would fill us with your spirit fresh today that we would know that we have an enemy that is trying to destroy our life, but that he is not as powerful as he, you, Holy Spirit, who exists inside of us. And so, Lord, I ask for every one of us to be able to access that power, live into that power, and be motivated to storm the gates of hell for the sake of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' precious name, amen.